Welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. As instructional coaches and school leaders, you have a challenge to guide continuous teacher growth that promotes student success. This podcast looks to support you with strategies from our experienced guests and insights that I've gathered across many years. I'm thrilled you're here. Thanks for listening. An Open System, Co-Creating Our Schools. The authors of The Open System, Redesigning Education and Reigniting Democracy are joining our podcast today. They both have extensive experience in guiding schools and communities with open partnership designs. Landon Mascarinas is the chair of the Colorado Community College Board, and Donnie Tran is a partner at the Center for Innovation and Education. Welcome to you both. Great to be here, Steve. Oh, it's uh, such so exciting to be here. Appreciate you inviting us. Well, thank you. I- I'm wondering if we might start with the process that brought the two of you together to uh, write the open system. Well, uh, Donnie and I have been friends for a really long time. Um, in fact, uh, 11 years ago this fall, we met in graduate school and became uh, first off, we just couldn't stop cracking each other up and had a lot of fun in class together. And uh, over the years, uh, we found ourselves increasingly uh, in similar veins of work. And in around 2019, um, we co-hosted a convening with a variety of other partners to really start to bring folks together who were in different places around our education ecosystem, because we had a sense that there was an emergent discipline uh, occurring, which is went beyond uh, family engagement um, and went beyond some of these questions that we were asking around how to bring families in and really it was addressing the larger structural issues at play in our education system and actually in our democracy. So whether you were a superintendent of a charter school or a district school or a community organizer or a family engagement liaison, we brought them together in 2019 to begin thinking, designing, and ideating around what it would mean to open systems up to the communities they serve. And since that time, we've just gone deeper with not only that group, but other folks co-creating this discipline that uh, has now kind of been put into the book, moves leaders can make inside and outside uh, to transform systems. Donnie, I'm, I'm wondering if you got just a, a picture that uh, d- d- describes uh, open system for folks. Sure. Um, one of the beautiful things related to what Landon just said is that an open system isn't fixed at any one particular scale of the system. So a, a school can be an open system. We've seen uh, schools that are involving families and students in co-creation of things like grading policies or discipline uh, systems. And then we can even scale it up and think about open systems at the level of the district where uh, families and community members and business leaders are being invited in to co-create workforce uh, development pathways and work-based learning experiences alongside members of the district staff. So it's any space where you have people from inside and outside of the system, the traditional education system, building things, co-creating shoulder to shoulder with one another and co-producing value for both the district uh, or the educational system and the communities in which they reside. The uh, co-creating word sounds important. So can uh, can I push you a little bit more on that? What 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 that 
what that means and uh, and uh, and maybe a, an example of a of a of a spot that will highlight it. Yeah, sure. Uh, sometimes it's helpful to frame co-creation actually in terms of what we typically do when we're engaging with families and communities. Typically, our number one mode of engaging with them is through focus groups and surveys. Uh, we we frame the question, we ask them, we get their input, we treat it as a piece of data. Somebody goes into a back room and goes on a whiteboard and designs the response to all of that. That's not true co-creation. That's that's treating families and communities like uh, data inputs into a traditional closed system. Instead, co-creation is bringing those families, community members, and sources of wisdom into those rooms, working with them side by side uh, to both empathize with their experience with the current system, but also to engage them in the design uh, of the system that replaces it or the systems that we're building next. And so uh, a a concrete example is uh, in Kentucky, we've brought together 18 districts that are assembling these unusually inclusive coalitions of local community members, business leaders, families, students, and educators to create systems of local accountability and assessment. So how are they measuring what matters to them as a community in terms of student outcomes? And then how are they structuring an accountability system for their schools, local schools around that? And so that's a concrete example of people building things side by side with one another not just gathering data from one group and then having that work being done somebody somewhere else. Landon, anything you want to add on that? Well, I think that one of the reasons to kind of go back to why this is important, uh, Steve, um, is that uh, Donnie and I had careers where we watched uh, the best intended education change management ideas just crash onto uh, the rocky shores of lack of investment from families and communities. And whether it was the new blended learning curriculum or the new standards fad or whatever it was, um, we watched it over and over again, like a Groundhog Day experience. And it started helping us ask different questions around what's going on here. Why is the lack of trust, participation and involvement in our education system such a barrier for moving important initiatives through and really led us down a path of understanding um, a rich vein of actual history around open systems that began after World War II that um, is in biology, cybernetics, organizational design, and started to ask different questions around what would it mean to reignite our democracy through civic participation in our education system to both train and help leaders inside and outside the system to take on openness, co-creation, co-design when they're taking on their toughest opportunities or new ideas so that their ideas become something the whole community owns, builds, and creates together. And to to us, this is a part of the big idea that we need to take on in the 2020s. Are we going to build communities and systems that work together for the benefit of all? When I looked through your book, I had picked out three different phrases that I wanted you to respond to. And uh, uh, one was co-creation. So we've kind of done a pretty good job on that. Uh, another one I pulled was was uh, was partnership. Is is co-creation really the ideal picture of what you what you mean by partnership, or is is there more to the partnership term? 
Well, I can start and I'm sure Landon has uh, thoughts as well as we both have different experiences with building these sorts of partnerships. But when we think about partnerships within an open system, we think through the lens of, of clarity, uh, being clear about what different partners can contribute and, and how they're going to be a part of that co-creation process and to what extent. Uh, recognizing that different organizations that are engaged in the act of partnership have different capacity, they have different interests, uh, but an open system just acknowledges that these tents can be, should be big, uh, and should include those who want to act in common ways in order to advance common goals. And so our concept of partnership is really rooted in the idea of abundance. Like there is enough work there for everybody to do. There's more than enough, in fact, uh, in order to advance true equity for our systems. And it's just about being clear about who is doing what and when and how and in what ways. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that uh, one of the things we talk about in our the second principle, knowing your community, um, we talk about schools, systems, uh, public institutions, libraries have a variety of open system infrastructure that are conduits to the outside world. In education, that could be a home visit program. It could be an ongoing uh, survey instrument. And a part of the leader's work is to understand uh, kind of all the different kind of conduits that are allowing open system information uh, to flow from the outside community into the system to make better decisions. Now, that is a aspect to the partnership. And there are, of course, multiple types of partnerships. There's partnerships at the classroom level, the school level, the system level. There's coalitional partnerships. There's sometimes advocacy groups coming together. Yet we think that they all have an opportunity to be in common if they seek to bring people together for a shared design, and that's co-creation. And we really contrast co-creation uh, versus co-production in the book. Um, and I think this is actually a really important piece that we're trying to offer some sharpening to the field uh, because we see a lot of times in the field, people say, oh, co-creation, co-production, they use these terms interchangeably. Um, co-creation um, is the idea of building public value with your broader authorizing environment. It's your stakeholders and you coming together to reimagine the public system or design a public system um, that offers something uh, that people in the community want, desire, and need. And then through the act of doing it with other people, it becomes stronger. And again, we know there's decades of research literature that more diverse voices building something is strong. And it's really funny, like the, even the people the most afraid of co-creation often say, well, yeah, it's true. We do know that research exists. We know that diverse ideas lead to better outcomes. So, okay, why don't we build with them uh, and not just make them a part of an advisory group, which leads us to co-production. Co-production is the act of actually keeping those authorizing uh, stakeholders together, the people that you've designed with, and the actual building or doing of the work, Steve, that is critical. We see a lot of people who love the co-creation work. They love getting people and building all sorts of stuff all over whiteboards uh, and then don't build the actual capacity and structure to move that work into uh, the grind of implementation. Uh, if co-creation is the promise, co-production is the commitment. It's the idea that not only do we need your ideas to design it, um, but we need you to do it. And I'm guessing that that do it is uh, a continuing uh, uh, do it. You, you, you've got a co-responsibility co for the success. Yep. Is that fair? That's it. That's totally fair. And I think that, you know, so much of this, Donnie, I talk about is building a new type of muscle. 
in public leaders and public systems for openness, for that responsiveness, for that type of co-design and co-production. And so, you know, yes, we want people to start with a task force or start with an initiative and get moving on that. But then we want them to overcome their fear, get into that commitment that you're talking about um, and get into that process and then start to see, oh, wait, like, how do we do it over here? How do we do it over here? How do we think about it in transportation? How do we think about an after school program? And there'll be new closed systems they're going to be confronting along the way each time. There's one other term uh, that I, I I pulled in your in your writing, uh, breakthrough spaces. Would you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, sure. It's it is one of the core elements that we find is is a big shift from sort of the traditional models of community engagement that Landon was talking about before. That it is a structural choice. It is a way of building a the kind of space where real co-creation can happen. Uh, and it is uh, well, the way that we think about it is how do we actually get a group that is truly representative of the sort of insights and perspectives that we need to drive this specific project forward? If we want co-creation in the, in a realm like creating a district strategic plan, for example, as we did in Burlington, then what groups do we want to center? And what voices do we need to bring to the table in order to drive that work forward? Uh, and so when we create that kind of breakthrough space for a specific task around which we are quite clear about the purpose and the timeline and the you know uh, scope of impact, we say, all right, well, why don't we just acknowledge that the way that we build traditional task forces for that sort of thing tend to be a little bit broken. We actually think we're being transparent when we put out these application processes and say, all right, community apply for this task force. But what we actually don't recognize is that the broader community is often quite skeptical of those of those application processes because they're like, oh, well, there's somebody at the district office just wants their friends to be on there anyway, and they're just going to put their thumb on the scale in order to get the group that they want, you know, to push through the to push through the uh, process. So we we acknowledge that there are actually three major groups that have to be considered, and they each have their own um, mechanism by which we bring them into that breakthrough space. So first, there's a, a group of stakeholders who really are essential. They're politically important, or they have expertise that matters a lot to the process. This is kind of like the Blue Ribbon Commission kind of folks, you know, your local chamber of commerce, your uh, local city councilor, the professor who you know has expertise in that particular area. And what we say to those folks is you don't need to apply. We're just going to offer you a seat. Uh, and we give we kind of set aside a third roughly of the seats to those sorts of folks. And then there are interested stakeholders. These are the folks who show up to your board meetings, they show up to public comment. They are plugged in, they're connected, they get all the newsletters so they know the process is coming. And we do put out an application for those folks. So we say, all right, about a third of the seats we're actually going to hold for groups who want to fill out the application. Uh, and we're going to evaluate those, make sure that it's diverse uh, along a number of dimensions and bring the perspectives that we need. And then for the, for the final third, we call that group potential stakeholders. These are people who live the experience. They live the system as it is, but they may not be plugged in to the point where they know that this process is happening. Uh, and we use a process uh, that's in the literature described as sortition, um, which is akin to jury selection to access this population of, of stakeholders. 
So we use data systems within um, the education infrastructure and we say, all right, give us a random slice hmm. of, of the population and you can be thoughtful. Whatever your purpose of the task force is, you can over-select for perspectives that kind of demonstrate you know, or live or are part of that system. For example, if you want to redesign attendance policy, you can look at the data system and say, actually, I want to access families and young people who are experiencing higher than average attendance issues. Uh, and that's who I want to represent. And for that group, you don't ask them to apply either. You just directly invite them and bring them into that space. And we find that by constructing it in that way, transparently, builds a lot of trust and actually brings an incredible diversity of points of view into the into the room uh, in ways that other ways of composing um, task forces aren't able to do. I am really glad I asked that question. I mean, um, that is just so counter to what historically happens in almost any group that schools put together to uh to 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 give to give input it's it's so true steve and uh and uh we have to admit that the, tr the traditional school task force is broken um and what donnie just described is essential uh not only to bring more people to the table and uh, he talked about but to withstand the incredible political stress that current context uh requires um, what Donnie just described, uh, we've now watched in multiple different types of political context, urban, rural, suburban, um, withstand uh, a significant amount of scrutiny and pressure. That's not typically what you see from the task forces uh, taking on questions of the day. So just want to kind of underline your, uh, your in that point. One last term that I pulled that you use is uh, democratic leadership. I'm, I'm thinking everybody can uh, come up with their own on that. but. Uh... What do you guys mean when you use that term? It's a really important uh, kind of opening framing for the book is that, uh, and we've been inspired by lots of other uh, writers on this, although they don't necessarily always call it democratic leadership. Uh, Dean Williams talks about it as real leadership, uh, but really like countering the dominant narrative of authoritarian leadership that exists in the education, corporate, political space of our country, which is these are the problems and I alone am the solution. I am the one who will give you the vision. I will come down from the mountaintops with the tablets um, and I will tell you what we got to do. Now, there are moments in times and emergencies and cases where that type of leadership is required or called for of society and civilization. Sure, we get that. But we are talking first and foremost about democratic public institutions. And um, if democratic public institutions are run by leaders who believe that it's their way or the highway, then over time, we're going to see closed system behavior, which means they're not going to build with other people. And we uh, bring in a significant amount of research and literature from a professor from Miami University of Ohio, Brian Danoff, who's done some awesome writing and reading about democratic leadership um, across essentially kind of culture and literature and film. It's really interesting. And he says that there are kind of three aspects to democratic leadership. One is the belief that you are always catalyzing other leaders in a community. Um, a democratic leader says, hey, every person I'm meeting, I'm like trying to activate their civic spark and their civic potential. And we see this in the superintendents and school board members that we profile in the book. They're constantly meeting with people and being like, yeah, I'm not trying to like tell them what to do. I'm hoping that like, they'll just like activate 
and then start to work on all these cool problems that we have to figure out in Idaho Springs or in Atlanta or New York City. Second is they have to believe that a shared direction is possible. They have an opinion. They get to have an opinion. And one thing that we we stand different from a lot of folks in the um, kind of community-based leadership space saying that oftentimes there's this uh, kind of maybe dismissing of leadership, a skepticism of leadership. And we think leadership is critical to move systems forward. Leaders get to have expertise. They get to have perspective. They get to have an opinion. They just have to share it with other people. And through their explication of their own vision, molding it, augmenting it, adjusting it in process, in partnership with other people, the vision becomes better, stronger, and they know that they're going to go in a different direction. And third, and this is actually the hardest piece, in particular for our moment in time right now, is they have to be committed to moving communities closer to the democratic ideal. And what does that mean? Well, it means that um, we have to be honest in our society and in democracies, that our previous systems uh, closed as they were in encased uh, in um, legacy isms, racism, classism, settler colonialism. We know that they haven't lived up to the potential that we needed them to live up to. Um, and that's a and that's a fact that you see actually people recognize across uh, across ideologies, actually. There's like a desire for it to do better. Um, now, what a democratic leader needs to be able to do is say, we have not met the moment, but it is now our time to move forward together because there's something that we can do together that we couldn't do alone. And too often in our society, there's a lot of people who love to deconstruct. They love to critique. They love to uh, think of all the ways the system uh, has structural problems. The democratic leader, the opener, names the problem and then moves the community collectively to solve it, moves it closer to that democratic ideal. And I just wanted to um, double click on one thing that Landon noted that it's not about listening or a leader is not always about doing whatever the community says. But in our in our history thus far, we have don't have the right relationship between the power of the expertise held by most of the educational professionals versus the power and the expertise of families, communities, uh, and our external partners. And it's not that we are not as, we're asking leaders to put aside their opinion. It means that and expertise. It's about right-sizing that expertise's sort of influence relative to that of those uh, of families and students and other community members. What's what's triggering for me is I recently uh, recorded a podcast with a, uh, a a superintendent who had gotten quite a bit of, of recognition for changes that have come through in the community. And piece that he shared with me is that if he could do the job that he thought he needed to do, the system would move away from having a superintendent. That the idea of one person at the head of that central office kind of took away some element of leadership of other people who were there just, just, mm. just by the naming of the position. Right. And I thought that was interesting when he tossed that out. Mm hmm. It is really interesting. And I, you know, uh, one of the things that we really, uh, and I really like Donnie came up with this uh, phrase and I just like, I love it so much, uh, modeling creative democracy. Um, it's one of our key principles. Um, and I think that we have to explore innovations in the way that we structure these systems, Steve. And so like, I'm like, Hey, if a school district wants to, wants to try out, uh, a triumvirate, 
of uh, like of a leadership model. Like, I think there's something there. You know, there was a moment in time where we had a group of superintendents in uh, in Denver public schools just visiting and discussing our school system. You know, we got 190 schools in Denver. We have you know, a variety of charter networks. We have innovation schools. We have innovation zone networks. We have a school board. We have politics. At one point, one of these superintendents who was a pretty incredible superintendent in her own right, she goes, I'm not sure one human being can do this job. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not sure. Like, and and that, like, and again, uh, I, you know, that's, con- some people will be like, oh my God, well, we have to have one person. Yeah. I, I, we have to be, we have to be willing to explore and be creative and innovate on some of these leadership questions. Um, to be able to build the systems we want. Yeah, the, the word that I like to use is leader full. And it, it, leader full. Yeah. In other words, you're creating an organization that's full of leaders and full of leaders. Yeah. Uh, and and that so it's kind of that reaching out and 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 yeah. building the leadership capacity of all the people that you're that that you, that, that you're working with. Um, right. I would say most of those education jobs can't be handled by one person. <laughs> You know, from high school principal to right. superintendent to mm-hmm. well, and you view and uh, you know, uh, I'm out in uh, up in the mountains right now in uh, Colorado, and I just sat down with a couple leaders in the senior uh, organization in this district, and everyone's burned out. We hear this all the time. I mean, the, the the mental load to hold all of this is is significant. Well, guys, I I really appreciate uh, w- what you've shared here, and before we. We close out. I, I, I'd really value um, if there are a couple of encouraging words and directions that you might offer to leaders at at, at the school level, because um, I, I think that's a that's a challenging piece. So so whether you're the principal, whether you're the teacher leader, but if you're more focused at that at that school level than at the at the bigger system level, some thoughts of uh, of, of thinking uh, for those folks to be exploring. Yeah, um, I do. I do a lot of work with uh, school level folks uh, around these questions of co-creation, and I, th- I think that many leaders out there desperately want to be these kinds of democratic leaders. They know that they are modeling the kinds of democratic engagement for their young people and for their families that they want to see in the world. I think they take that responsibility on very clearly. And so I'm speaking to you, all of those who who feel that fire, uh, that you want to be a place that models how you co-create with young people and with parents. Uh, and, and they're scared and that's okay. But there, think about a small bite, one small project that you can bring together a couple of parents and a couple of kids and build something together alongside some, some core trusted teachers. It doesn't have to be that the breakthrough space of like the coalition and the three parts, uh, you know, that seems like a lot. Start small and start with something that your that your school and your school community can handle. Uh, think about, you know, what if we did uh, what if we did grading a little bit differently or if, what if we had a project night, you know, an exhibition night for some of the coolest things that young people do? Could we co-create that with families? Start with something low risk. Uh, start with something you feel like can be manageable and see how that feels and see how much a different level of commitment comes out of that. And then uh, as Landon, I think said earlier, find another opportunity. The people you engaged in that original enterprise, they're actually going to be 
that much more ready to do they something. Want more. <laughs> Learn one more. And they will already have built some capacity around how to collaborate and how to co-create. So you don't have to start from scratch with them. Uh, and so just let it spread in that way and, and build it uh, as you go and build that kind of open system as you go. Take it small. Landon, you want to follow that up a little? I just, uh, I love what Donnie said. And progress, not perfection. Just get started. Oh, great. Another great phrase. Another great mm -hmm. phrase. Guys, what's the best way for uh, listeners to uh, follow some of your work, find the book, check in with you? You know, they can find us on all the social media at The Open System, uh, on Twitter, uh, now X, uh, LinkedIn, um, the theopensystem.org. Um, they can find us and uh, we'd love to find them. I will. Uh, I'll stick that opensystem.org in the lead into the uh, to the podcast uh, as great for folks. Thank you so much, guys. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening, folks. I'd love to hear what you're pondering. You can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Steve Barkley, or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at barkleypd.com.